Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Having joined the company in August 2015, John Harris is the Senior Vice President and Chief Communications Officer of ConAgra Brands. Prior to ConAgra, John was the Chief Communications Officer at Hillshire Brands and also served as SVP Global Communications for Sarah Lee Corporation. Before this, John held leadership positions at Bally Total Fitness, PepsiCo, Ketchum Public Relations, and Medicus PR. John holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Communications from Rutgers University and is an adjunct professor for PR and marketing at the University of Chicago's Graham School. John is also a trained musician and one of the founding members of the Grammy Music Education Coalition, a nonprofit dedicated to building universal music education in elementary and secondary schools nationwide. You can learn more at GrammyMusiced.com. This was a really insightful conversation and particularly relevant for heritage brands and any brand who's trying to weather the storm of COVID-19. John dives into a lot of strategies for keeping heritage brands on the cutting edge and why internal communications has never been more important than it is today. Now, without further ado, here is Lippy Taylor's CEO, Paul Dyer, in conversation with ConAgra's Chief Communications Officer, John Harris. I thought we would start John, by just um, something you've spoken a lot about um, historically is the importance of being a chief storyteller. And so thought we would just would love to get your thoughts on that, right? Can you expand on that and, and your definition of storytelling in the context of communications? Sure, sure, Paul. We are only as good as the stories we tell and the content we create. And I believe our role as communications professionals really is to craft, tell, and sell a story and take all of our key stakeholders on a journey. And as chief communications officer, I was just saying this to someone yesterday, um, I see our role as the chief storyteller or chief reputation officer. Um, uh, Our job is to protect serve and build the reputations of the brands, companies, concerns, and executives we represent. And I, I think that's done through, uh, through great storytelling and taking everyone on that journey. And you guys, as ConAgra, I mean, you manufacture a lot of heritage brands, things that many Americans grew up with yeah. and are now relying on to get through this quarantine. So how do you think about that, the reputation and the stories they're telling in terms of the long-term effect this experience we're having with them right now may have on that reputation or their ability to, to tell stories down the road? This is, that's a great question. You know, we, we, we have been deemed an essential business during this time and, and in an essential business and as an essential business, um, we, we take that role very, very seriously. And it, it really is in everything that we do. And we have been working tirelessly over the past, really over the past several weeks, now we're getting into months, really making sure that we are, are, are getting our products to the people who need them most. And from a storytelling standpoint, we've really veered away from product-specific messaging. And as you're talking about brand communications or brand marketing communications, we've gotten away from that and really focused more on solution-based communication. So you'll see a lot more recipes, a lot more projects that parents can do with their kids, such as with Duncan Hines and other products that we have. And I think you'll see a lot more of that going forward that folks, you know, really positioning our brands as part of the solution. And I think that's, that's been a strategic play. And I think it's been welcomed by consumers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we've, we've heard a lot of brand leaders talking about 
pointing out some of the tone deaf communications that have gone out there and some of the the COVIDiot influencers and things like that. So I suppose that what you're describing is a way of sort of striking that balance between being respectful, but still having the brand be relevant. Are you seeing, you know, in terms of, you talked about protection, but promotion, right? Brand promotion. Is this a time for brand promotion or how do you think about that? Well, I think you've got to be very careful. To your point, you cannot appear to be tone deaf. And from a promotion standpoint, you can make a lot of mistakes. And so uh, you know, it's got to be respectful. It's got to be really taking into account the situation that we're in, that consumers are in, that the world is in. And you've got to be very mindful of that as if you are going to go forward with promotions. Uh, some might work during this time. Um, as a company, we do quite a bit of giving back. Uh, we've always done that. And so we really do give back. We are uh, within, We do quite a bit of work with Feeding America right now. And um, that is not work that we ever promote. We just let that work speak for itself. And for us right now, um, you know, we're really focused on getting these products uh, on the shelves and in the pantries of consumers who need it right now to provide them with some comfort. Um, uh, so for us, that's really the goal to promote our brand. We'll work with some of our, our customers, but it looks as if they too have halted a lot of promotions right now because the, the job now is just to get the food to the people who need it most. Well, that's great. It, and, I, and I love the way that you, you framed it. Of It's sort of like if you just do the right thing, it speaks for itself. Right. Uh, again, we're like many companies. We believe that we'll do well. You know, we will do well by doing all the right things. And uh, and that's that's kind of how we always approach business, whether it's a COVIDian world or a, a pre-COVIDian world or a post-COVIDian world. You'll never go wrong doing the right thing. So you've been at ConAgra for almost five years. Yeah. And when you got there, my understanding is they didn't have a Marcoms function at all. And so you were sort of had to construct and probably integrate, collaborate, like put all the pieces together. So I'm curious, you know, what, you know, what did that look like? And, and what are some of the, as you think about the next five years, you know, how are you preparing for that from a function standpoint? Sure. Uh, we, when I came in, the ConAgra team was just a very, and I think the company itself, Paul, was very inwardly focused. Uh, in fact, we put more uh, resources behind the ConAgra Foods name, which we were, which we were called at the time, than we did the actual brands that we were selling. Um, and so, uh, the communications team kind of mirrored that that strategy and handled far more internal communications and sales meeting support than they did external support and really promoting the brands. Uh, we do consider ourselves a house of brands, not a branded house. I think it might've been the other way in the past. And so when I came in, um, I realized that the company at that point and the brands needed more. Uh, so I did an assessment of the needs of the organization and really realized that we were in desperate need to craft and tell our stories from a corporate and brand perspective. That had been something that really had not been done. We had not been working with media on a corporate front, and we really had not been doing any substantial brand marketing communications work. So uh, we know this, that if you ignore your brands, they will go away, as will your consumers. And so we started investing in our brands and, um, and we've never looked back. And and really, it's interesting because these staple brands that were woven into the into the homes and hearts of consumers everywhere were at risk of, of dying on the vine. 
uh, had we not stepped in and started to invest, started to uh, infuse innovation into these brands, reinvent them in many cases, and it made all the difference. And like I said, we've never looked back. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think it's a remarkable, just going through the list of them on your website, it's a remarkable, remarkably consistent um, story there where I think a lot of heritage brands, to your point, they were starting to ripen at the very least on the vine. And, um, you know, so now there's all sorts of, there's marketing conferences and everything else about how to revitalize heritage brands, but you guys were ahead of that. We had to be though, because when we came in, when Sean Connolly, our CEO came in and Sean, I've had the pleasure to not only work with Sean uh, here at ConAgra, but also at other companies in the past, like Hillshire and Sara Lee. And, and Sean, knows the importance you know he says there are no stale brands only stale brand managers and uh, (laughs) there's a lot to be said about that and uh, you know if if we aren't innovating behind these brands who have such name recognition and are beloved by millions of consumers then we are not doing our jobs and and shame on us shame on us because it is our job to uh to bring these these brands to life. And uh, that is what we've focused on over the past five years. And that's what we will continue to focus on uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the, the next 100 years. So you guys at ConAgra, you have a founder's wall that celebrates yeah. you like the Hunt Brothers for Hunt's Ketchup, Orville Redenbacher, et cetera. And you, um, and you embrace this ethos of think like an owner, um, which seems like a good way of sort of doing that, you know, mirroring heritage with entrepreneurialism. So can you talk a little bit more about how you guys go about sort of engendering that entrepreneurial mindset? Sure. Well, our timeless values, integrity, external focus, agility, leadership, focus on results, and broad-mindedness. And and when we say broad-mindedness, we mean that good ideas come from anyone and anywhere, Paul. And, and we have a wonderful effort at the company called Catapult, which we launched a couple of years ago. And it's where groups from all over the world, whether it be the plants or office settings, they all submit worldwide in, or I'm sorry, innovative solutions, whether it be products, packaging processes. And we judge and award the winning teams. And actually, we implement and execute many of these ideas. And at ConAgra, um, the reason why I said the values before is we all really live them. Um, I know a lot of companies say it, a lot of them um, put them on the wall, but we don't want them just to be words on a wall. We really want them to direct everything that we do. And we do believe that we're all owners of the company and we all play a role and have a responsibility to the overall success of the enterprise. And everyone is equally as important as the next. And that's really where this entrepreneurial mindset lives and thrives. And it all is about the customer and consumer. That is what drives all of our decisions. And, and like I said, you know, over the last five years, we've really become quite an externally focused organization um, where we're constantly in dialogue with our customers, with our consumers, um, with our analysts and shareholders, making sure that everyone knows the journey, the narrative that we're on. And also we're taking that feedback as well as it pertains to customers and consumers and making sure that we keep giving the customers what they want and keeping them satisfied. So it's interesting. One of my favorite quotes from Jeff Bezos is the the, the essential takeaway from it is um, a maniacal focus on the customer is why they succeeded as opposed to their comp- their competitors. 
And so I've heard you talk now and you've mentioned customer at least a dozen times and consumer nearly as many and various stakeholder groups. You've never once mentioned the competition. Is that on purpose or is it just how you, how you are? Well, you've got to be mindful of the competition and, but, but you cannot be focused on the competition. Um, we, we have our own playbook. We have great confidence in our playbook. We have great confidence in our brands, our plans, our teams. We know what's best for our for our company and our brands. And um, you know, so focusing on the uh, on the competitors, um, it's good to be mindful of what they're doing. But we have our own plans in place, and we've got to execute on them. You mentioned earlier some of the the innovations that you guys have introduced to these heritage brands, and there's things like coconut whipped cream or Pam that comes in a transparent spray bottle for transparency. How do you, how do you evaluate all of these different ideas and assess, you know, the sort of elasticity of a heritage brand? How far do you stretch it, you know, versus remaining true to the, to the core? Well, innovation is the lifeblood of our business. It, it really is. And it's not about the ingredients. It's not about the recipes. It's part of it. Um, uh, it's about keeping our brands top of mind and close at hand and always evolving to suit the ever-changing, ever-evolving needs of the consumer. Uh, give you a great example, Healthy Choice. Back in the 90s, our CEO at the time, Mike Harper, had suffered a heart attack. And Healthy Ch- so Healthy Choice was born from that. And great brand at the time in the 90s, it was focused on heart health, right? So it was low sodium, low calories, some at the time might have said low taste, um, but as as uh, consumers' desires and needs and even the definition of healthy has evolved, you can see now that brand, which is doing quite well, now incorporates proteins, grains, recipes from from uh, from all over the world, vegetables uh, like kale, which it, it you would never have seen that back in the '90s, and. Uh, it all is done to cater to the evolving and ever-changing needs of, of our consumers. And you can veer away from it. You know, you never want to lose the authenticity of your brand because you are your brand reputation. Um, but you can build upon that and you can evolve. I think the, cons- the, the consumers expect you to. Uh, and I think if you, you know, if you stand in place, you do run the risk of becoming extinct. So you, you're a big proponent of using data and AI to understand stakeholders. And you, you're talking now about having your finger on the pulse of consumers and, you know, sort of how they're reacting to your brands and what their expectations are in terms of innovation. So I'm just curious, like, how do you think about the role of data versus intuition, right, and knowledge? You know, are there any specific sort of approaches that you really, you know, like in terms of, uh, you know, or espouse in terms of, um, using data to understand your consumer. Well, with great power comes great responsibility. I did not say that Uncle Ben Parker did in Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I feel blessed to have a seat at the table and, and serve on the senior team, but uh, it means that impressions alone do not carry the day. You know, what we need to provide, if we are going to earn our seat at the table and earn the budget that we need to do our job, You've got to provide real hard data and measurement. Uh, and it, it is embedded in everything we do, Paul. Uh, all of our work starts with data. Uh, and it is typically quantitative. It's third-party data. And, and we find that this helps tremendously with all of our planning, all of our measurement. Um, you know, uh, We do encourage taking risks, 
but you want to make sure you're taking educated risks. So when you think about that, um, I've seen lots of different companies handle it different ways in terms of should the data be um, reporting into comms or you have people within your organization that are specialists in measurement and data and analysis, or are you partnering with you know, a different internal market research or marketing science team of some kind? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, we have a great demand science team uh, that they do not report to the communications team, but we do partner with them on everything that we do. And we have a great relationship with them. It's not so much who it reports into as long as the work is getting done. We certainly do rely on IRI and others, and, and we do partner with them. Um, they even do have some seats in our in our offices. Um, but for us, it's just making sure that we have a relationship. Um, we understand what they're doing. They understand what we're doing. And we collaborate. I mean, I think it's frankly, it's one of the best collaborative relationships in our office. Uh, we really do rely heavily on-demand science and what they provide us, the information that they provide us to allow us to do our jobs uh, the best we can. For the last couple of years, influencers seem to have been on everybody's mind, right? And of course, it feels like things are changing rapidly now in this new world. What are your thoughts on the role of influencers in the sort of integrated communications and marketing mix? Well, when I first started, you had the media who served as influencers. Now everyone, everyone has a computer, everyone has a mobile phone, and everyone passes along information. It's not just to the journalists. And it gets, thanks to Google Alerts, it gets to your inbox, you know, in a millisecond. Um, Micro-influencers or other influencers, they might have smaller audiences, uh, but they still have very important and strong followings. And, and sometimes, depending upon uh, the situation, they even have louder, uh, louder voices. So many see uh, these influencers or micro-influencers as being more authentic and having more credibility with a certain group. Um, and, and this can help or this can hurt your brand. Um, regardless, you have got to have relationships with them. And it, it only uh, serves you, your company, your brand well by making sure that you know who these folks are and you do work with these folks, just as we would have the media back in the, the ancient 1990s. Yeah, it's funny. I just saw a stat recently that, you know, said we're closer to 2050 than we are to 1990. And it's just, it shakes you to your core, you know? It really does. Uh, and it's, and you, and the sad thing about it is it's going to be here before we know it. <laughs> That's true. Hopefully we'll get out of the house by then. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, seriously. I think we're all tired of staring out the same window. Oh my gosh. Uh, Either staring at the same window or staring at the same Zoom WebEx screen. Yeah, it is... Exactly. Uh, uh, you know, on one hand, I've never been more efficient, more effective, and more punctual in my life. On the other hand, oh my goodness, I can only imagine the eye strain that's going on throughout the world. Yeah. Well, it is funny, you know, as, as a communications agency, we have people that are are mostly extroverts, but then we have some clear introverts, in particular our analytics group and our creative group, and yeah. they are loving this. So like, I don't have to go to the office. This is amazing. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> oh, Yeah. But, but you know, for this, honestly, for a lot of folks, I, I'll tell you what this did for us. It showed us the power of technology. It really did. Uh, I don't think everyone was a believer that we could work remotely during these times. I think people were very concerned. They were very, uh, very concerned about it. And I think what this has proven is that, yes, uh, you know, we are a very collaborative environment. Our culture at ConAgra is very collaborative. And, and it 
it does, it's important for many of us to interact with one another. But second to that, the ability to work with each other, thanks to technology, has made this uh, very seamless for us. And again, we're dealing with so much, whether it be the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, we are dealing with making sure we get products to our cons to our customers and our consumers in a timely manner. We're also making sure that our plants remain healthy, up and running. And uh, it really is a, a 24 seven job, but technology has made it all available. I cannot say enough, enough thanks to our IT team. And of course the great folks at WebEx and Zoom for making this possible. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's interesting. You know, you, you mentioned your employees and I mean, obviously this is, it's an always on, you know, sort of need to, to keep them up to speed right now. And you've been outspoken before about internal communication saying that employees used to be the last to know and now you know, we want them up to speed with our mission and values. I assume that that's, you know, amplified in the current world, but how are you thinking about sort of the balance between internal and external? Well, well, it, and it is a great balance. You know, I, I say this, we're only as good as the food we make and the people who make it. And we have 18,000 people follow each and every day, have a hand in making our, our products uh, and ensuring that they get on the shelves and, and it's the pantries, refrigerators and freezers of everyone. And we can't do it if people are not engaged. We cannot do it if they're not aligned and they're not working together to make it happen. And so we really have over the past the past few months, now several weeks, um, really stepped up our internal communications in a big way too. Uh, making, you know, whether it be through uh, Monday morning videos that our CEO always does, but, but continues to do. I host a series called the ConAgra Connection, uh, where I highlight uh, success stories and information that would be important to employees by interviewing many leaders throughout the, the organization all over the world. And we've, we used to do it once a week. We now do that two to three times a week. Um, and we are doing everything we can to really make sure that people are connected because we know um, whether introvert or extrovert, people need to be aligned. They need to be aware of what's going on. They need to know the role that they play in the overall success of the company. And during this time, particularly when you are such a collaborative environment and a collaborative culture, uh, which does uh, depend on people working together face to face, you know, being remote can can disconnect folks. They, they can become uh, disconnected throughout all this and um, a little less engaged. And so we've been finding that through increased communication, and we do measure this, that it has really helped people feel um, as if they're part of the solution and really stay abreast of everything that's going on in the company. Every day I send out uh, news clips and articles to all of our employees called Food for Thought. Um, as I said, we do the connections. We're doing a digital newsletter that was born out of this now, which is called Staying Connected. Um, and, and there's so much more. I normally do uh, even coffee uh, chats with my CEO and our head of HR. We do them and we speak with, you know, 15, 20 employees at a time. We're doing them digitally too now. We're doing them online via WebEx. So we do, we're taking the questions and we're, we're constantly engaging our employee base uh, during this time of uncertainty to provide them with some much needed certainty. So Sam, that's really inspiring that you guys are able to be that proactive and energetic about it. Thanks. Um, so you it's have, never been more. It's never been more important than now, Paul. It really hasn't. Yeah, you've obviously worked in many big jobs now, and you've worked with, I'm sure, many amazing agencies. 
And so this, this question is not about any specific partners of yours right now, but as you think about sort of the agency of the future, right? Like what is it that you think agencies need to have the best perspective on, the best capabilities in, you know, the best sort of, how could agencies be the best partner? Well, I, I think, you know, in my mind, the agencies that are gonna be the best for all of us, uh, and I think the best partners are the ones who can anticipate the needs of the client uh, or potential client. You know, the game has changed and you've said it, I've heard you say it several times in the past, that you know, no one goes in there and presents, all right, we're gonna to present to you how to remain in the status quo. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as brands evolve, as companies evolve, as cultures evolve, so do the partners. And, you know, there is no more, as we know, there's no more marketing this side of the house and public relations this side of the house. We all do similar work. We all know that great ideas come from everywhere. And as clients, we are looking for solutions and we're looking for best practices. And, and you know, I've seen uh, some of the agencies now coming out uh, with a re-entering practice, how to re-enter, helping companies re-enter uh, post-COVID. And I have to say, that is what we're talking about. It's about agility. It's about using their expertise um, to really help uh, these clients who so desperately need their help at this time. It's, you know, this is going to be, uh, it's a new normal for all of us. And, and it's going to be uh, this way for the foreseeable future. So it really is about presenting solutions and knowing as much about the industry, knowing as much about the company, knowing as much about the landscape so that, and providing data and analytics that are pertinent that can really change the game for the client. I think that's what's going to make the difference. And that is what's going to separate the good agencies from the great agencies. I think that's great. And I think people are probably going to be taking a lot of notes right now when they hear this. <laughs> Uh, John, thank you very much. This has been an extraordinary sort of rapid fire with a lot of insights. Thanks, John. You got it. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. All right. A lot of really golden insights here. Let's conclude, as always, with some key takeaways from this conversation with ConAgra CCO John Harris. Number one, be a storyteller, but a real one. Even though it's a very commonly used buzz term, storytelling is a timeless part of good marketing and a mission-critical element of effective communications. When done right, it's the job of comms people to take people on journeys. In order to build a pitch or a press release or a news story that will move your customers and your target editors, you need to know how stories work. Characters, conflicts, resolutions, stakes, and story arcs are all part of compelling narratives that communications pros need to familiarize themselves with. The best way to get better at storytelling is to simply immerse yourself in good stories. Why not reread some Shakespeare or Hemingway or some good old Stephen King? Novel's not your thing? Pop in some well-worn classics like Lawrence of Arabia, Citizen Kane, It's a Wonderful Life, or even Jaws. These are all flawlessly told stories which can inspire your own approach to comms-driven storytelling, which in turn can make everything from a press release to a brand narrative sing with resonance for your consumers. And yes, I did just say that watching Jaws can help you write better press releases. Number two, in this era, focus on solution-based communications. In today's very unfortunate era of the coronavirus, many brands are gun-shy about their communication strategies for fear of being labeled as tone-deaf. John had a number of interesting responses to this. First of all, focus your communications on solutions. In the wake of COVID, ConAgra paid attention to the needs of their customers, who now were relegated to being home all day. As a response, they rapidly pivoted their communications to focus on things like recipes, projects you can do with your kids, and other 
family activities. Here, ConAgra became a part of the conversation by being part of the solution, which gave the brand a very natural place in conversations and the day-to-day lives of their consumers. So during times like these, find solutions for your customers and your brand equity will naturally shine through. Furthermore, doing the right thing is always the best policy. ConAgra has a long history of silently giving back to multiple charities. And as John said, giving never goes out of style. So when in doubt, just give. Number three, solve problems internally by crowdsourcing solutions. John discussed a really fascinating executive-led initiative within ConAgra called Catapult, where ConAgra employees from all over the world submit innovative solutions to the problems and challenges that the company faces. Executives then judge the solutions and not only award the teams behind the proposals, but they implement the solutions themselves. This is a brilliant lesson in leadership. Companies like ConAgra have thousands of people within their organization all of which have different perspectives, skills, and expertise. This is an extremely abundant resource of brain power, which most companies need to tap. Not only does this approach allow companies to rapidly solve problems with informed and relevant solutions, but it makes employees feel heard and therefore valued, which is extremely motivating. A common misconception of leadership is to feel the responsibility to have all the answers, when in fact, the best leaders are those who can find all the answers. So turn your employee base into a think tank. Number four, double down on internal communications. ConAgra is a company of over 18,000 people. With such a strong sense of brand equity, it's critical for companies like this to ensure their employees are all in alignment and singing the same tune to make sure their slate of products are on the shelves and in the pantries of their customers. During this era of corona, when most companies are forced to work remotely, it's very easy for employees to feel distant and therefore disengaged. To counter this, John and his team have stepped up internal communications substantially with informative videos from the CEO and a series spearheaded by John himself called the ConAgra Connection, where he highlights success stories and important information to employees. John used to do this once a week, and now he does it two to three times a week, all for the sake of ensuring his employees are connected. Increased internal communications can solve the gaps in awareness caused by this very disruptive time period. Anyway, guys, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you shared it with your friends and colleagues on social media. A big, huge thank you to John Harris, as well as Cindy Irizarry and Lainey Friedman from ConAgra. Thank you all for making this happen. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram, at Lippy Taylor, that's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R, or you can check us out on the web at www.lippytaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.